Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I am excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the program. And I wasn't sure I was going to do this, but decided, yeah, let's go ahead and do three ups and three downs just for the Colorado Rockies home opener against the Washington Nationals. Since I'll still have basically a full set of games, TV ups and downs after the series, not include this one. It's a big game. Let's do it for just one game. And it was also a particularly interesting game. It was only the 12th time in the history of Denver baseball. They kept saying it that way. And I I double-checked because not just Coors Field, they obviously also mean mile high. But I I was really curious, and I wasn't quite sure how you could find, like, Denver Bears or Zephyrs numbers. And I was like, I don't know if they're including that when they say it. But what they really mean is, in Colorado Rockies history, at either Coors Field or the couple of years they were there at Mile High Stadium, there are only 12 games now that have ended one to nothing as their final score without uh, extra innings. Though I don't know if that would matter. I'm just pretty sure that they always say in, in regulation, but though they don't use that term because it's not hockey. Anyway, so that was interesting in and of itself, right? A one to nothing ball game at Coors Field that lasted two hours and 18 minutes, which is just, yes, there's new rules stuff, but there was also the fact that both Kyle Freeland and Josiah Gray were, well, I was going to say throwing a lot of strikes, getting a lot of strikes. I'm going to talk about what Josiah Gray was getting out of the Rockies hitters at the end of this, but... Yeah, just a really strange game, right? You don't see a lot of these at Coors Field, and even with the new rules and things, I don't expect that we're going to see a ton of these. It was a combination of unusual things, and and with the new rules and and all of that, that that ended up with the game going this way. But I do have your three ups and sort of three downs. It's really one big down that manifested in a lot of different ways. But let's talk about. Uh, the ups first. So, and I'll just do it that way and I'll end on the, the one big down. So obviously the first big huge up for the Colorado Rockies was Kyle Freeland going 6.2 innings, giving up only four hits, zero earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts. He remains unscored upon so far in 2023. Yes, an ERA of 0.00. And more great stuff out of him. Really, there was only one moment uh, later in the game, I believe it was in the fifth inning, where you know, he looked like he was struggling. Well, there was the first inning he got hit hard a couple of times, and I'm going to talk about getting some help there. But after that, he really settled in. He was getting the kind of weak contact uh, that you expect Kyle Freeland to get more swings and misses. He only had the one strikeout in his first outing, this time getting five. So that was nice to see. But working really efficiently, like we know he does, getting a lot of weak contact, all of those things. He did in that fifth, as I was about to say, start falling behind guys, uh, fell into a 3-0 count, fell into a 2-0 count, but he actually came back on both of those hitters and got him out. Now, those hitters were, I believe, Lane Thomas and... Is it Alex Call? I'm, I, I got I to gotta be honest with you guys. I was reaching for the who the heck is is this guy booklet a couple of times for several of these uh, Nationals players. But, you know, th- that is one of those things where you go, okay, in that situation where he kind of lost his command a little bit, it's good that he was able to come back and get guys. You see he might struggle against a, a better lineup in that type of situation. But still, very good. Kyle Freeland, he said after the game, this is about as strong a, a start to the years I think I've ever had. This is as good as I've ever felt after two outings. Of course, it's just two outings, but you'd rather start that way than not, right? As 
doesn't get much better than a zero ERA. And so he's excited. He's feeling good. I wrote on milehighsports.com about his experience in the World Baseball Classic and his tenacity and his competitiveness and how I think that, you know, probably helped uh, him start the year with an intense focus, but also how he needs to be able to take the intense focus and competitiveness that he has in these big games and these big moments when the crowd is raucous like they were in the home opener and all this stuff. And you know he loves pitching in front of the hometown crowd, Denver, Colorado, rocking. Like he loves all of that stuff. But he also needs to figure out a way uh, to be a consistently well above average pitcher who can lead these Colorado Rockies and, and this rotation back into some relevance. And, and I think he's understanding of that as well. So it's going to be really, really interesting. As I've often said, the two most important players for this team moving forward are Hermen Marquez and Kyle Freeland. And so far, so good out of those guys. And really, really good out of free in this game. Like I said, only giving up uh, the four hits. There there were a couple of balls that were hit pretty hard, but he got a little bit of help out of up number two, Jerickson Profar's defense. There's not a whole lot to analyze here. There's not a whole lot to say because it's it's not an at-bat or, or a se- sequence of at-bats from either side, right? The pitcher or the hitter where there's a lot to kind of go through here. Uh, but he made three phenomenal catches. Well, I'll say two really fantastic No, no, no. I'm starting all the way over. (laughs) I'm going to give him one fantastic catch, one phenomenal catch, and then one very, very good catch, right? So the first one came in the first inning, as I mentioned. It was, and I agree, Kyle said after the game, I was like, I really didn't think he hit it all that hard. It was kind of a back foot breaking ball to the right-handed hitter. Didn't get all the way in off the plate. Went down and kind of golfed at it, and it was a little bit of a, you know, thin air. It just kept carrying and carrying and carrying. Now, on watching on replay, I don't think Profar even really needed to jump when he got there, but there was the added difficulty of the fact that there was a fan who ran over and really, really tried to interfere with that play. As I think I, uh, the hardest I've ever seen a fan try to get fan interference and then still not actually end up coming up with the ball or, or interfering with the play because Profar just was able to totally... I don't know, blank it out and, and didn't, maybe just literally didn't see him, uh, went up, made the catch, The his glove hit with the, uh, the fan's glove, but a little bit of a jumping catch at the wall. Really what he did well there was make a great route. Uh, you know, left field at Coors Field can be tough. And remember that it was his first game in left field at Coors. Now I'd have to go back and see if over the course of his career he's ever played left field as a, a visitor at Coors. But certainly he doesn't have a lot of experience out there. And it's big, massive left field uh, compared to the others in, in Major League Baseball. And so it can be a little bit easy for a new guy to get lost out there. I remember talking to David Dahl about that years ago. About like It can be tough to, to gain your bearings sometimes when balls hit down the line or in the gap, and it'll be easy to overrun or underrun because you the amount of distance you have to go just feels different, right? So in this particular instance, the reason I bring it up is because when you're running to the warning track or to the wall like that, there's a lot more ground to cover at Coors Field before you get to the wall. And so the timing on that, which is probably why he jumped, because he probably thought he was going to jump right up into the wall and he still had another couple of feet, but he made a really good play. The good part there was the route he took, the way he was able to get himself into position to make a play uh, and then making it. So that was really good. 
Then you've got the phenomenal play that he made. Lefty hitter, uh, change up low and away from him. Uh, goes and slices it out toward the left center field gap. He comes over and full, maybe not full extension, but Superman. So in the air, you know, sometimes they, a dive is a little bit more like a slide or it's a, uh, uh, you know, a little more for convenience as much as anything or because you've got to get low. But that one was shoulder height still in the air and, and he dove out for it. I, I don't think it was quite full extension, but it was he needed to, to leave his feet uh, to get there and he needed to actually leap forward for it going into the gap that way. You know, I talked to uh, Corey Sullivan a little bit about it during the game, and he was saying, yeah, you know, probably about an 8.5 catch, really good. It's it's a little easier to read off the bat of a left-handed hitter uh, because it, it's coming toward you. You can see the the read on the ball. It's very clear. Like if, if a righty hits that, first of all, the, the slice is going to be a little bit different and tougher to read but you're not going to be able to have as good of a first step or a jump on it because, well, the the batter's body is literally guarding your ability to see the angle of the bat, right? So, again, it was his initial read that was so impressive here. While I would say, you know, hey, if Chris Bryant is still playing left, he doesn't make that catch because he's maybe not quite as fast or not quite as athletic as Profar, um, I think Bryant actually gets pretty good jumps on baseballs, but not quite as good as what at least Profar was getting yesterday. He was just seeing the bat off of the ball. And when I went back and watched the diving catch, what you saw there was that, like he knew immediately where that ball was headed to. Uh, he read it off the bat in an instant and got there. And there, there aren't a lot of guys who would have made that exact precise read regardless of how fast or athletic you are that was the most important thing for him ultimately making the diving catch was the very first step that he took and and how quickly he took it and the same thing was true of another ball that he chased down in the gap this one was difficult because it was deeper into that left center field gap which is the deepest part of the park at Coors Field and he was running further like it wasn't where the diving catch was kind of horizontally straight across, right? This one, he's he's going back and across. He's going deep into that gap. It wasn't a, a full dive, and he honestly probably could have caught it on the run without sliding, though when I watched it again, I, I think he slid because it was he might have hurt himself trying to stop his momentum without doing that, right? It was a good way of just sort of finishing the momentum of the play. But it was the smoothness of it. It was the way in which he, again, the first step was fantastic. The route was almost perfect. And then the way he was able to very calmly come up with the ball on a dead sprint, you know, almost 400 feet away from home plate, slide up, catch it, turn around in one motion and fire it back in like he was taking out the trash. I was not a fan of the Jerks and Profar move when it happened. You all remember that podcast if you listened to it. Um, and I've come around on some of the ways it looks like the Rockies are intending to use him and, and in tandem with Mike Moustakis and how that's not blocking Elaurius Montero. I've gone on record about how I think it's a good thing that Nolan Jones and Michael Tolia are in AAA and mostly playing pretty well. So in the meantime, it's nice that this guy who seemed like potentially an unexciting veteran has just did some really exciting stuff out there on uh, the baseball field, right? It's, as I often say, don't overlook the fact that sometimes it's just fun to watch good baseball. And 
really you saw the difference in the game, right? Um, I'm going to talk about the bullpen next and, and not a whole lot about the good offensive thing the Rockies did, which was really in that one inning, right? Tovar hits a ball out to right field. It was a decent swing, but a catchable baseball. Lane Thomas loses it in the sun a little bit, slightly tricky. You know, he had to run to get there and, and couldn't make the play. Ball falls in, goes as a double because, uh, you know, it didn't really make contact with the thing. And that ended up being the only score in the game, right? It, it comes down to it, this particular game ended up being decided by who made the plays and who didn't. If any of those balls that were hit out Profar's way had gotten down, and they do against a lot of defenders, uh, they do against decent defenders, then, you know, who knows how those innings might have gone otherwise. That run comes in, multiple runs come in, because now your guy is frustrated. He just gave up a home run or a double or a triple into that gap sometimes. He's got to start pitching out of the stretch, any number of things, right? So it was really cool to watch Profar just be a heck of a professional baseball player uh, yesterday. And like I said, I'm going to finish out the ups on talking about the bullpen. How about your boys, Justin Lawrence and Pierce Johnson? Lawrence comes in to pick up the final out of the seventh inning as Kyle Freeland goes the six and two thirds, like I mentioned. Uh, looks fantastic. So Buddy says, all right, go back out there. Now, I I have a thing with this. I, I have no data, no scientific evidence to suggest that this is true. But for me, it feels like whenever... The Rockies, not always even Bud Black before that. I've only covered him in like a, a bit of Walt Weiss, but, and, and it's not just them. I feel like whenever the, the manager tries to get that extra inning out of the the middle reliever, and, and, and Lawrence is more than a middle reliever, and we know that, but it almost always comes back to bite him, right? The get that first out, and I'll go back out there and get the three out from a pitch count standpoint that should be workable that should be doable but for some of these guys there seems to be a thing about getting the out you know coming out of the bullpen with all the momentum and having just thrown and then you come out you do your warm-ups and then you get your inning and then you sit on the bench and then you go back out there I don't know like I said I can't prove it I just feel like that comes back to bite the Rockies and lots of teams more often than not and I was worried it was gonna end up getting Lawrence because he had a, a little bit of a, a a tough luck inning there with it beginning with a, a ground ball to the left side that was not hit well but Montero was pulled in protecting against a potential bunt and misplayed he made a nice play to knock the ball down and he made a strong throw and almost still got the out in fact I think that might have been the one where they called the guy out and had to overturn uh, the call on the field he was definitely safe and yes a more sure-handed third baseman makes that play yes 99 times out of 100 Ryan McMahon's going to make that play if he's playing third base, and the guy before him would have made it 999 times out of 1,000, right? But Montero, it wasn't a terrible play. But th that's exactly the kind of thing where you're like, ah, that's why Alan Trejo came in to, to play the ninth inning defensively, right? And even got a ball hit his way and made the final out. But uh, the point here isn't necessarily to pick on Mon Montero. It's rather to say tough luck for Justin Lawrence to start the inning. Guy on base right away. Right, still is doing his thing, but then gives up a, a more legitimate hit. There's a long battle. I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. Hard grounder back up the middle. Not again, not scorched. It was one of the harder hit balls, uh, honestly, that the Nationals had in the game, uh, and it was certainly the hardest hit ball anyone had off of him. But it was on the ground. It was right back up the middle. In the old days of the shift, that would have been of the extreme shift. You know, it probably would have been a inning-ending double play. No harm, no foul. Forget about it. Elowries, but instead. 
you've got runners first and third. You did have two outs at this point, but still, you, you know, now you're in a, in a really tough position if you're J-Law because a, a floater to right field, another slight misplay on defense, anything else, and it's a tie ball game, right? And a ball in the gap, and now you're down. And you had done such a good job in the seventh. He's done such a good job so far this season. He's been lights out. He's been dynamic. He's been fantastic. But one mistake pitch right here in this spot and he blows the ball game, almost certainly, right? If a guy puts one over the wall or in the gap, that's the ball game because the Rockies weren't hitting. And, you know, despite all the good he's done to this point, one pitch could have unraveled quite a bit of how good he feels about the beginning of his season. But he made his pitch. He got a weak fly ball out with, again, you've got bad luck on the defensive play, bad luck that the grounder wasn't picked up. You're in a tough situation. You don't feel like you've pitched poorly, but you've got pressure on you right now with one out to get in the eighth inning of a one to nothing ball game and a crowd that you could start to feel was doing the, oh man, are the Rockies going to blow this thing? You know, and then he gets that out, and it was such an exhale of relief. And then, how about this story? In fact, I'm literally writing this story. I was going to say as I speak, but I promise you, I'm not writing an article and doing a podcast at the same time. I am not that talented. Uh, <laughs> I'm barely talented enough to do one of those things at a time. So, uh, but I am working on a story. I spoke today to Kyle Freeland, Lucas Gilbreth. And Pierce Johnson, and you can probably figure out about what, and that is, of course, Colorado pitching, Colorado natives, Colorado major league baseball players, and and how cool it was to see. And we love J Law. Uh, I just went through. I I think J Law is going to have a huge breakout year. He's the pitching version of a Lauris Montero. Like he's going to be the talk of the town by the end of the season. Look at this guy, uh, the Lion of Panama. We love the Lion of Panama, uh, but. Being from Panama, he's not from Colorado, and he was therefore the only Rockies pitcher to pitch yesterday who was not. And that's really, really cool that a Colorado native began the game and a Colorado native ended the game. And yes, I I did talk to them about how, like, we all love Justin. No one's taking anything away from Justin. But in the future, if Gilbreth could bridge that gap, could be the seventh or eighth inning guy in there, or of course you could always just have Kyle go eight and then you know, Pierce pitched the ninth, but you, you could have all Colorado native pitched game, all nine innings at some point, a major league record. It would have to be. So I really love talking to those guys. They were excited to talk to me about it. It was as big a smiles as I've seen during an interview. I've done three different interviews that I've done in a very long time. So I, a Colorado native, am also very excited to write this thing. Oh no. Oh, yeah. By the way, uh, he, he did the job. He came out and didn't allow a base runner and struck out a pair. Looked dominant in his Colorado Rockies home debut. And beyond that, so so I mentioned a couple of times how neat it would be if Pierce Johnson got to step into this role in general and then how cool it would be for him to get to do it in front of his hometown crowd. And let me tell you, he was excited that he got to do it in front of his hometown crowd. And he is very hyped on the idea of Colorado pitchers pitching in Colorado like he's very into it but also it's just nice for the team to have a guy with Daniel Bard out that they can just turn to who immediately goes yeah 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 I got this this is not going to be a disaster I mean if at any point during the season last year Daniel Bard had gone down the Rockies bullpen would have gone from 
dumpster fire to building fire. I don't, I don't know which way. You know what I mean? It, it just it it was bad. Bard would Bard, and then at the, in the second half, Estevez were really the only guys going. And in the first couple of months, Tyler Kinley, and that was it, right? And now that Pierce Johnson can just so confidently and so capably step into this role record the saves he he has so far and and the other great thing i kind of mentioned this about the young guys too is that he hasn't been perfect he did give up a run on the road you know in a game that the rockies were already losing so he didn't cost him much when they've needed him the most he's been lights out and he even said to me today he goes look i am not going to be perfect here i'm going to give up runs like it's going to happen i'm going to get hit you know you 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 what you have to do here especially anywhere it's true but here especially is have that mentality of i can get the next guy i can be successful here and i'm not going to be beaten by the place you know maybe i'll be beaten by the other guys because they're very good at baseball but i'm not going to beat myself and i'm not going to let the place i'm pitching in whether it's here or on the road i'm not going to let that beat me either i i want to get beat by the other team and he goes and that's going to happen <laughs> i go man <laughs> i might have, I'll, I'll have to see how good that audio was uh if i can maybe on a, a future podcast i'll share the audio of, of those three guys because like i said they were just really into this conversation and i think you'd be able to hear it in their voices but that that was really really cool to see all right, let me talk about the one big down. I know it's normally three ups and three downs. I tried to figure out a way to, to split this apart. But really, the negative yesterday was the offensive approach. And I can't put this on any one hitter at the moment. Uh, you know, Montero was maybe the exception to the rule. He had three hits. One of them was pretty weak. Actually, none of them were hit especially hard. Chris Bryant is the exception to the rule because he takes a professional at bat no matter what and that's why he ended up being able to drive in the game winning run with a very when you know when they call it a piece of hitting what they mean right stuff like that pitch out low and away from him two strike count runners out there at second base no runs on the board and he knows he's just got to find a way to put this in play so it falls down out there in the big outfield like it did they're going to get a run but the free swinging Josiah Gray led the league in walks last year, and the Rockies were out there swinging at garbage out of the zone. Like I said at the very beginning of this podcast, you know, Gray ultimately threw a lot of, quote, strikes, but a lot of them were not in the zone. The Rockies were hacking away at pitches out of the zone all afternoon, and they were hacking away at the first pitch all afternoon, which for a guy who struggles a bit with his command and for a guy who throws a lot of pitches out of the zone... I was shocked by the approach. And as a lot of you know, I've been working on another piece about Bam Bam Mullins, Mullins, um, the new hitting coach. And part of the reason why I've got all these quotes, I've written most of it, but I'm, I'm kind of hanging on to it a little bit right now, is that the Rockies offense has been very up and down and, and, and straight. There doesn't seem right now to be a full team-wide approach. Until yesterday, when that team-wide approach was bad, was was not good, was way too aggressive for a guy who led the league in walks last year and was throwing a bunch of bendy stuff that they clearly weren't picking up. They were not seeing his slider well, and Bud Black even reiterated that today, that they are not seeing his slider well, so why are you swinging so damn much at it? 
make him back to what, what Pierce Johnson was saying. Make him beat you. Don't go out there and beat yourself. There were a couple at bats in, in the first or second inning. I think I think it was the second inning uh, where Ryan McMahon and CJ Crone both struck out without seeing a single strike. Right, you you gotta make him come to you when he and I get that the Rockies are an aggressive bunch and and I get that you know it. I'm fine with all of that. I, I'm especially in now that we've gotten rid of the shift to an extent and with the pitch clock and stuff. I do think you're going to see more hittable pitches in the zone. And I never liked the wait around for a mistake, draw your walk, or hit a home run philosophy. But you got to have some of those guys. <laughs> you can't have everybody swinging at the first pitch all afternoon. Uh, and it, it was almost comicable. Comicable? <laughs> it was almost comicable, people. It, it was. It was. I, I couldn't believe they kept doing it. And I asked Bud Black about it today, and he just gave me this look of like, yeah, I don't know what we were doing there. You know, they were doing it too. And he pointed that out that like both teams were swinging at the first pitch all day, which is part of the reason we had a two hour and 18 minute long one to nothing ball game at Coors Field. Just not good offensive approaches from either team. But Freeland tends to induce that kind of weak contact by pitching all over the edges with stuff that moves around a lot. Josiah Gray is very much a power pitcher who, you know, will leave something in the middle of the zone. He also led the league, by the way, in giving up home runs last year. So the fact that the Rockies really kind of bailed him out with overly aggressive at-bats, striking out a lot, swinging and missing a lot, and not really getting their mistakes. And he did pitch a good game at times. He did throw some pretty good first-pitch strikes. And so I get there's competing philosophies there. On the one hand, you want to wait this guy out because... He throws a bunch of nonsense out of the zone and you might draw your walk. On the other hand, the first pitch of any given at bat may be the best one you're going to see because he tends to throw a get me over fastball or whatever. And he was throwing some pretty good first pitch fastballs, even some first pitch breaking balls that were kind of hitting the edge. So I get that the Rockies were frustrated by that, but they needed to stop swinging at the first pitch. And overall, I would like to see just a general semblance that they're not a bunch of individuals just going up there with their own plan to do whatever, you know, to some extent, baseball has to be that way. And every guy does have to have his own approach, but it'd be nice to see some sort of team wide approach. You got to get a scouting report on a guy. And when the scouting report says he walks a lot of dudes, anyway, I've made the point. You don't swing that much. So I don't know. There's a reason I'm not a hitting coach. There's a reason I'm not their advanced scout. There's a reason I'm not a major league baseball hitter because it's easy for me to say, well, just stand there with the bat and you'll take your walk. But it's not as simple as all that either, right? But I was a little bit surprised that they came out in the home opener against a very beatable pitcher. And while they beat him, they didn't, they really didn't do the kind of damage that I think they could have done if, especially for the first three innings, they had almost literally just stood there with the bats on their shoulders until he started making some mistakes in the zone. So those are my ups and downs for the home opener. Uh, like I said, surprising to have that much to say about one game, but it was a particularly interesting game this time of year. So thank you all for listening in to this episode of 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you are checking out all of the written content over at milehighsports.com. And other than that, that you're just continuing to be absolutely awesome out there, you know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.